This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to another episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to professionals from museums, cultural, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Good day, everyone. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe coming to you from Salt Lake City, and this is Preservation Oaks, the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio, where we feature interviews with professionals from museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies across the United States. Hey, thanks for listening. By the way, our main platform is preservationoaks.podbean.com. But we're also on almost every podcast platform as well as TikTok, Odyssey, and YouTube. So wherever you listen to the program, I appreciate it very much when you like, comment, follow, and subscribe. We trust that people want to have a better understanding of these precious organizations. We make listeners aware of how the organization is supported, how each is unique to the communities they serve, what programs and events they currently have underway, and what services they offer to the public and their members. We believe this information is vital for people to know how to work with these organizations and how important it is to join, support, volunteer with, and donate to one or more of these core societies. Remember that your donations are tax-deductible, and many larger companies will even match your donations, and that's a great thing. Each guest organization on Preservation Oaks brings with them a truly unique perspective around how they tell the story of their communities, how they continue to be relevant for the times in which we live, and what kinds of exhibits and volunteer opportunities they've created. This makes listening to each episode of the program interesting, fun, and diverse. If you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the program or if you have questions or comments about the program, Spin off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. All right, that being said, let's get this show snapping. Our historical February events and birthdays for this episode. On February 1st, 1960, in Greensboro, North Carolina, four African-American students sat down and ordered coffee at a lunch counter inside a Woolworths store. They were refused service but did not leave. Instead, they waited all day. The scene was repeated over the next few days, with protests spreading to other southern states, resulting in the eventual arrest of over 1,600 persons for participating in sit-ins. 
On February 11th, happy birthday to American inventor Thomas Edison, who lived from 1847 to 1931. He was born in Milan, Ohio. Throughout his lifetime, he acquired over 1,200 patents, including the incandescent light bulb, phonograph, and movie camera, best known for his, quote, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. And that is true. Happy birthday on February 12, 1809 to Abraham Lincoln, who lived from 1809 to 1865. He was the 16th U.S. president. He was born in Hardin County, Kentucky. He led the nation through the tumultuous Civil War, freed the slaves, composed the Gettysburg Address, and established Thanksgiving. On February 14, 1849, photographer Matthew Brady took the first photograph of a U.S. president in office, and that president was James Polk. Happy birthday to inventor Cyrus McCormick. He lived from 1809 to 1884. He was born in Rockbridge County, Virginia. He invented the horse-drawn mechanical reaper, a machine that freed farmers from hard labor and contributed to the development and cultivation of vast areas of the American Great Plains. On February 19, 1942, the internment of Japanese Americans began after President Franklin Roosevelt issued an executive order requiring those living on the Pacific coast to report for relocation. Over 110,000 persons, therefore, shut down their businesses, sold off their property, quit school, and moved inland to the relocation centers. I visited one of those relocation centers. I believe it was on Angel Island, out in the Pacific, off the coast of San Francisco. And there were barracks there. And in the barracks, there were initials and there were poems carved into the walls from the residents. It was quite something. And if you get a chance, visit Angel Island, California. Happy birthday on February 12, 1732, to a founding father, general, and commander-in-chief, George Washington, who lived from 1732 to 1799. He was born in Westmoreland County, Virginia. He served as commander of the Continental Army during the American Revolution and became the first U.S. president. Happy birthday! On February 26, 1846, to American frontiersman Buffalo Bill Cody. He lived from 1846 to 1917 and was born in Scott County, Indiana. He became world famous through his Wild West show, which traveled throughout the United States and Europe for 30 years. Big thank you to HistoryPlace.com for our February events. Let's have some 20s tea. Ah, oh, it's good. Bob Twining's tea. You can email us anytime at preservationoaks at gmail.com. On our next episode of Preservation Oaks, we'll be meeting with the Alabama Agricultural Museum. The Alabama Museum of Agriculture is located at Landmark Park. The museum features artifacts interpreting life on the farm in the 1890s. They tell an important story of America there in Landmark Park, and it'll be fun and interesting chatting with Executive Director Laura Weber. For this episode, we've got a great program today. We greet Director Mary Lee Montgomery, 
and program coordinator Jim Garrison from the Condé Charlotte Museum located in Mobile, Alabama. This is a strikingly beautiful house museum near the banks of the Mobile River and reflects Mobile, Alabama's history under five flags, French, English, Spanish, Confederate, and American. It is owned, preserved, and operated by the National Society of the Colonial Dames of Alabama. Stay tuned to learn how the Condé Charlotte Museum began its life and much more. If you're a resident in the local area, this episode will help you understand what the organization has to offer, how you can participate and take advantage of the worthwhile events the organization sponsors, and how to best support them by visiting this wonderful organization. Here are brief biographies of our guests. Mary Lee Montgomery is a journalist by training. She started her career reporting and editing at the Mobile Press Register Daily Newspaper for almost 10 years. She spent the rest of her career weaving in and out of the field of public relations, working in nonprofits, disaster services, and the arts and culture. Most relevant was Mary Lee's experience at the Mobile Museum of Art, where she worked as development and membership coordinator and marketing manager for four years. Since her arrival at the Condé Charlotte Museum in 2016, she and the Alabama Dames spent three years restoring the museum, including replacing the roof and back balcony and repairing and repainting both the interior and exterior, plus attending to everything that goes along with such a restoration. Last year, they celebrated the museum's bicentennial and hired a program coordinator to expand museum programs and that would be Jim Garrison. Mary Lee has lived in Mobile, Alabama since 1982. She was born in Birmingham, Alabama, and was raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee. She received her B.S. degree in English and Journalism from Tennessee Tech University, Cookville, Tennessee. Now, Mr. Jim Garrison was raised in Aliceville, Alabama. He is a recent graduate of the University of South Alabama with a bachelor's degree in history. Jim interned at the Aliceville Museum for three years while in school and began working at the Condé Charlotte Museum as the program coordinator in the fall of 2021. At the Condé Charlotte Museum, Jim organizes events, programs, and collaborations with other organizations. He also catalogs the collections, manages the museum's social media, and performs various other activities common in museums. Welcome to the program, Mary Lee and Jim. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Guys, I'm all set to learn even more about Mobile, Alabama and the Condé Charlotte Museum. We recently released an episode on the Historic Mobile Preservation Society featuring director Taylor Volts. If you haven't already, you can listen to that episode where we reviewed some very interesting facts about the society as well as Mobile and its history. But right now, I can't wait to learn about the Condé Charlotte Museum, which is also in Mobile. So let's get started, okay? Very good. Mardi Gras was on February 21st. Does the Condé Charlotte Museum participate in the events of Mardi Gras? And if so, how? We really do not. We close the museum during Mardi Gras weekend. It's a four-day weekend, Saturday through Tuesday. I noticed a meme on Mary Lee on your Facebook page 
that I think represents the southern United States. It says, here in the South, we don't hide crazy. We parade it in the streets and hang some beads on it. Happy Mardi Gras. Exactly. That is just perfectly said. And anybody in Mobile will tell you that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So it kind of just goes crazy down there for a while. Well, during Mardi Gras, we parade it. Now, crazy goes on all year long. (laughs) This is when we we, we make it look all pretty and fun. (laughs) Do a lot of tourists come in for Mardi Gras? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a huge moneymaker for the city of Mobile from hotel and restaurant taxes. And yeah, tourists come in and and it's just a big fun. It starts about three weeks before the actual Mardi Gras date. So it it provides a nice boost of revenue for the city and county. That's great. I want to say what a beautiful museum you all have. The area is absolutely historic and clean. And and what I mean by that, when I went on maps and I look at the street view, boom, there's this picturesque, beautiful museum with a white picket fence and absolutely green lawns. (laughs) And, you know, it's just beautiful. It's such a nice place for a visit, a well-deserved journey into the wonderful past of Mobile. I know you have a Spanish courtyard, or I believe I read Mm -hmm. that, that you have a Spanish courtyard. That'd be a wonderful place to have tea. How did that museum, the Condé Charlotte Museum, get its name? Well, the original Fort Condé was built in Mobile in 1711. Mobile was founded actually in 1702 up the Mobile River, and then in 1711, because of yellow fever. They moved it down to Mobile to where it is now. And they, the French built Fort Condé. So the museum, the Condé Charlotte House, was named for Fort Condé. We actually stand directly behind the fort. And then when the English came in and took over the city, then they renamed the fort to Fort Charlotte, for Queen Charlotte. So the colonial dames who owned the museum decided to name the museum house the Condé Charlotte Museum. Okay. I wonder what Condé, is that the for a French nobleman or something? You know, I'm not really sure. Do you know, Jim? I believe it was one of the generals or French military men who, like, founded Mobile. Okay. Yeah. Now, do you guys still have a problem with malaria and that kind of thing? No. <laughs> okay. okay. We have a problem with mosquitoes biting us, but we don't get any diseases from them very much. You know, back years ago, what about eight, maybe 10 years ago, you know, there was West Nile and a few folks I knew contracted that. But as far as any really serious diseases that would cause a pandemic, essentially, nah, that doesn't happen anymore. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah. You have a house museum there. It's absolutely beautiful. What's its history? The building was Mobile's first courthouse and jail. It was built in 1822. 
And it stayed in the jail for about, I'll say, 20 years. And then was kind of just left abandoned as they needed a bigger jail. So they moved locations. And uh, Jonathan Kirkbride needed a place for his family to, to live. And he sees this dilapidated brick building. And he said, you know, this is, the, this is the perfect place. So he renovates the whole house. And this is about 1849, 1850. And within a couple of years, the house is renovated, into, or the building was renovated to the house you see now, more or less. And then it jumped hands a bit after the early 1900s. It was briefly an officer's house during World War II. Huh. Back during the Great Depression, it was actually a boarding home. It's changed quite a bit over the years, and now it's currently owned and operated by the National Society of Colonial Dames. Fantastic. In the state of Alabama. In the state of Alabama. <laughs> In the state of Alabama. I, I notice it's oh. very well painted, and it's got a plaque on the outside, and I couldn't quite read the plaque from the street view. I mean, it's right mm -hmm. on the building. It's sort of like a shield or something. It's a it's an historic designation from the Mobile Historic uh, Development Commission. Oh, okay. So and uh, you have to qualify for it. And a lot of buildings, especially in the downtown area, have that plaque. You mentioned you had spoken with Taylor Volts from the Historic Mobile Preservation Society about a month or more ago, and that society actually owned our building back in 1940 and they owned it for about 17 years and that's when they leased the building out to the army to to house an officers club very cool so yeah yeah you know everybody kind of ties in with each other down here in mobile yeah it it's the biggest together. small town you'll ever see that's fantastic I noticed yeah. that, you know, when I look at it on the maps, you're right in a very peaceful enclave right there beside Fort Conte. Is it located in a historic district? Yes, the Church Street East District. Mobile has seven, I believe, seven historic districts. And we are the one that is furthest east in the most historic area. When they built the Fort Conde replica, uh, that whole area on Theater Street was actually, you know, kind of renovated as part mm -hmm. of the uh, America's Bicentennial. They redid the uh, the brick streets. And mm -hmm. didn't they also change up the old lanterns there? Yeah, yeah. Back in 1976, the city decided as the Bicentennial celebration to rebuild Fort Condi at, I believe it's three-fifths of the original size. The original oh. Fort Condi burned down. At one point, they rebuilt it. And then when the city became a, an American city, they tore the fort down because they didn't need to defend against the British or the French or the Spanish anymore. So that fort was torn down. Our building site was originally within the Fort Condi, the original Fort Condi. And so it's just a real mix of history here because we dig up things in our yard from time to time and find all sorts of artifacts and pottery shards and coins and 
all that kind of stuff. It's it's a lot of fun. Really? Do you have those on display? We do. We have a a case in our history room that has a lot of the the artifacts in it that we found on site. Oh, very cool. uh, the University of South Alabama came out probably 15 years ago or more and did an archaeological dig in our yard and okay. and found a lot of that for us. Oh, very cool. Wow. It's funny what yeah. people dropped back then, huh? Well, you know, the, what they did was they buried their trash. Oh. So if they had an old pottery that had a jar that had broken or or anything like that, they just dug a hole and buried it. Oh, be darn. Huh. Now that house has been there for a long time and mm-hmm. it's been through generations. So what's mm-hmm. it like caring for and maintaining a home with the provenance of the Condé Charlotte Museum? Well, it it's like caring for any old house, you really have to to know it. You have to know that our original building is brick, old brick covered in stucco, which provides its unique problems in such a humid atmosphere here in Mobile. We have to replaster things from time to time. We did that about five years ago and then repainted the exterior of the house. It looks so good. We had to redo the interior too. Of course. So, and when we, you know, we have storms down here, big hurricanes. So, from time to time, we have to replace the roof and we just have to follow historic guidelines. Right. It's, it's really not, it's not any different than taking care of a, an old house, right. really. Very cool. I noticed the home on the first floor has like a window into the floor where you can see like the foundation. Yes. So we've had a few archaeological digs over the years. And during one of them, they cut open the floor to reveal the original jail floor. And so we've kept that like, you know, uncovered on display. Uh, We have a little glass pane over it with some lighting there. And along with a few of the items they found while they were doing this dig around the property, one of the neatest things there they found, you know, obviously had like shackles they have found and the bowls that the prisoners would have been fed out of. But most interesting is the set of lead knuckles, which was actually found beneath one of the bricks. So evidently one of the prisoners there at the, at the jail must have been planning something, but I guess he never got to go through with it. I'll <laughs> be... Yeah. Were there any famous prisoners held there? Uh, yes. Famous in Mobile. Yeah, famous in Mobile, local yeah. legend, Charles Boyington. He was tried for murdering a friend of his over some you know small amount of cash. And he maintained his innocence throughout the entire trial. And he was still found guilty. They paraded him around the streets. And on the day... When he was hanged, he said that an oak will grow from his heart to prove his innocence. And out in the Church Street Cemetery, there it is, a big oak tree right where his grave was. Oh, my. Yeah, and that tree has its all, all its own little ghost stories and stuff. But uh, last year, we actually found out that he was housed at, at the jail. So we, we hosted a play in our courtyard about the trial of Charles Boynton. 
And prior to that, at the Oakley House Museum, they had a Boynton Festival because it's right, it's not too far from the Church Street Cemetery. Wow. So we we all get together around here and kind of share the wealth as far as our histories go. Very cool. Thank you for that, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the National Society of Colonial Dames of America in Alabama? In the state of Alabama. Yep. It is, it's an, a women's organization that is put together for preservation purposes and the historical purposes of education of history. And they offer a couple of scholarships, the national organization does. They have separate societies for each state. So that's why it's the National Society of the Colonial Dames of America in the state of Alabama. Alabama society is, I believe, the sixth largest in the country. And it's made up of women whose ancestors date back to colonial times. So their ancestors predate the Daughters of the American Revolution, but they are after the Mayflower ancestors. So it's 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 a large organization, and they have historic homes in almost every state. There are 63 different historic homes and gardens that you can tour, and you can go to greatamericantreasures.org and find out not just about the Condé Charlotte Museum, but you can discover all these other museums that the NSCDA owns or runs and visit them. They even have suggestions on groupings if you want to make a tour of different museums. They have it very well organized. It's a it's a great website, and it's if you're interested in historic homes or gardens or preservation or anything like that, greatamericantreasures.org is a great place to start looking. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Sure. I'd like to mention the contact information for the Condé Charlotte Museum. Mm-hmm. The address is 104 Theater Street in Mobile, Alabama. You mm-hmm. can phone them at 251 432 4722. The website is Conde, C O N D E, CondeCharlotte.com. You can find mm-hmm. them on Facebook as the Conde Charlotte Museum House. And you can email them at CondeCharlotteHouse at gmail.com. And they're also on YouTube at Condé Charlotte Museum 6415. Does that sound right? It's perfect. That's exactly right. Can you tell us about the mission and objectives of your organization? Our, Our mission basically is that of the Colonial Dames. It is to preserve and educate. They feel deeply that through the preservation of these homes, We can educate tourists and locals about our history and which essentially is American history. When you learn about history, you learn about yourself and you can learn to not make mistakes again, not to repeat mistakes as it were. 
So it, it's a great it's a great mission. I think people are more and more appreciating that than in recent years, but it really does make a difference. Uh, we do try to have some school tours here, mostly homeschool tours because we are rather small. And then just tourists from all over the world come to see us. Oh, cool. It amazes me where people come from all over the country and all over the world. It's just a wonderful place to visit. We have docents who give tours. All of our tours are guided. So our docents know things inside and out. And they are so charming and so much fun. And they engage with our visitors who love it. And so we always get great reviews because people love our house, but they love our docents even more. Yeah. They make it interesting and they do have funny stories to tell. And it's just, there's nothing like a good story. Fantastic. Can you tell the audience a little bit about your background, how you came to do what you do now? Let's start with Mary Lee. Oh, Lordy. (laughs) I started out as a reporter for the local newspaper, the Mobile Press Register, and uh, was a reporter and editor there for about almost 10 years. And then I got into um, public relations. I've been in Mobile my entire career and have worked for the Mobile Mental Health Center, the Alabama School of Mathematics and Science, and the American Red Cross here in Mobile. And with that, I started, was offered my job on September 11th, 2001. And I left the Red Cross after Katrina, Hurricane Katrina. So it was really busy, busy few years (laughs) with the Red Cross. And I'm very proud that that I worked for them. Following that, I, I worked for the Mobile Museum of Art, where I really learned about museums. It was a great education, which prepared me to come here and take this position at the Condé Charlotte Museum. I've been here about six years, and I love it. The Colonial Dames are wonderful people to work for. And it's just, it's a wonderful place to come to every day. No kidding. Really nice. Yeah. And then I have wonderful employees like Jim, who just make my job easy. Of course. And Jim, what's your background? I'm a... I always want to say recent, but it's been, it's been a few years now. I'm a graduate from the University of South Alabama. I got a degree in history and a minor in philosophy. And during my time at South, I worked at the Aliceville Museum. Aliceville's where I grew up. It's about an hour away from Tuscaloosa in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. And I worked at a fantastic museum up there, the Aliceville Museum. I, was, I interned there for about three years while I was going to school. And when I say it's a small museum, it was a small museum. There were probably only ever two people there at any given time. Wow. And so I got a lot of experience in pretty much every aspect of a small museum. I, you know, put together exhibits. I led tours. I cataloged sessions. 
I was a janitor. <laughs> of course. You had to do a little bit of everything. And I think that really prepared me for coming to the Condi Museum. After I graduated and I completely moved down to Mobile, I worked a part-time job at Office Depot. And one day one of the docents comes through and you know, I'm checking her out checking out all our items and she starts, you know, asking me about, you know, what I do, uh, my, uh, what degree I got, things like that. She hears me say history and that I love museums. She said, Oh my God, there's this place you just have to come to. I work there. I think you'd be perfect. You should definitely apply. Okay. I said, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the next day I went by there and instantly fell in love with the house and everybody there. And it's just been a great time ever since. Fantastic. That's great. Great background. Yeah. That Aliceville Museum is really interesting. It was a, a World War II POW camp, right, Jim? Yes, it was a, a German POW camp. And it's split between three buildings. The building that's... None of the camp exists today. You can like barely see the outline of the roads. But the building the museum's in now was the last standing small-town Coca-Cola bottling plant. Oh, wow. And you can go through there today, and they still have all the machinery exactly where it was when it closed down in 1973. Wow. And it has a beautiful... One of its buildings has a beautiful exhibit to the town, and my favorite part of the museum is the American Heroes exhibit. It's a collection of uniforms, medals, things like that, that came from any given war. The only The only condition for having your uniform in that room is that you were from Alabama or sorry you're from Aliceville and just having that small stipulation you know there's it's amazing how many unique stories came out of that small town oh yeah wow that's pretty cool oh yeah thank you now let's switch gears from looking in the past to looking to the future for the Condé Charlotte Museum, what programs are coming up on the horizon? What's the agenda for 2023? We actually have quite a bit going on this year. Now, last year was our first year starting back programs after the pandemic. And now that we've kind of gotten used to the, the scene down here, we are just going all out this year. Starting off, Bill Summers is going to kick off our 2023 lecture series with a talk on the history of colonial money. This spring, we're going to be doing an olive oil tasting in our Spanish garden. Over the summer, we're going to be hosting an art program for kids in collaboration with Brown But Square Studios, which is a local organization down here. We're going to be having a wine tasting in the fall. And we'll also have an educator's art exhibition that we're really excited for. And there's plenty of other programs that are going to be in between those that we're excited to announce. So follow us on our Facebook page. No kidding. That sounds great. Olive oil tasting. Who is Bill Summers? Oh, Bill, Bill Summers is, a, uh, is in uh, the Sons of the American Revolution. He's from Huntsville, Alabama, which is at the north end of the state. And he spoke with the Colonial Dames Center up there in North Alabama. And it just sounded so fascinating. We thought that all of the colonial dames would be interested in hearing it and and just the public in general. It just sounds fascinating. And the way he got interested in it was his wife had made him a, a colonial 
uniform with the tricorn hat and the vest and everything. <laughs> and he he would reach in his pocket and to get more into character, he wanted to feel the coins of the time, the colonial coins, rather than, you know, current contemporary money. So okay. he started studying it and, and he, he has a collection of old colonial coins and and now he he talks about it. His day job, he's an engineer, oh, but um, but his side interest is is the Sons of the American Revolution. Now, do you do those, or will you be doing those virtually as well as in person? Uh, this one will be virtual, but we are looking forward to having quite a few in-person lectures. A nice. few of them out in our garden and a few of them inside. We're just not ready to announce any of them just yet. Oh, that's very cool. But Bill's talk is going to be February 23rd, which is the week before or a few days before you air this, isn't oh, okay. it? okay. But everybody will be able to watch it on our YouTube channel and our website. Oh, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Wine tasting, olive oil tasting, art program for kids. Boy, you guys are going to be busy in 2023. That's a <laughs> I'm good, afraid so. That's a good I get thing. exhausted thinking about it. <laughs> Way to go, guys. Now, <laughs> Thank now, Mary you. Lee, you mentioned a couple of times about the funny or interesting stories that the docents have. Do you have any funny or interesting stories from your organization's history? Well, you know, we just celebrated the bicentennial of the museum house itself of the actually the jail that was built in 1822 we saw that it was the bicentennial and decided to take advantage of it and and we hosted a big gala in october where the colonial dames from all over the state came down we had a champagne toast in our courtyard which was so lovely, and the Excelsior Band played. The Excelsior Band is a band that originated in Mobile at the all-black fire station from 200 years ago or so. And, uh, you know, of course, they've had new members along the way. And they always lead second lines, which is... People would know them from New Orleans. Uh, when people march down the street, there's a, a band, a brass band generally of, what, seven members or so that lead the parade. So they play, and uh, at the end of the toast, champagne toast here in the courtyard, they led everyone out to the brick street around the corner to the Fort Condy Inn. And that's where we had our main party with uh, wonderful refreshments and another band for people to dance to and string lights strung across the street. It was just a very magical evening. Everyone just so enjoyed it. And we invited all of our former docents to come and participate, which was great fun. We had two of our docents. Sarah and Sister, who had worked here, well, Sister worked here about 30 years, and Sarah worked here more than 40. She was the original docent here. 
And they are both in their 90s now. And they just came and had the best time. It was so great getting everybody together. And just had too much fun, really. (laughs) That sounds so good. Wow. Yeah, it was great. It really was terrific. Mary Lee and Jim, it's time for a break for a few minutes. Okay. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages. Pass history on by visiting the Condé Charlotte Museum. Visit a museum that is one of the oldest historic house museums in Mobile, Alabama. Let the docents take you into the past where you can admire and learn about the historic artifacts and history of this beautiful museum home itself. See the notable kitchen, parlors, dining room, Spanish courtyard, French sitting room, and bedrooms from the 18th and 19th centuries. See the infamous hole in the ground on the first floor. Learn more at CondeCharlotte.com and visit today. It's a gorgeous part of Mobile's history and culture. It's time for Preservation Oaks Book Shorts. Book Shorts is a segment of the program where we quickly introduce listeners to authors and books which satisfy your love of history and genealogy, help you with your own research, and finally help you improve the depth and wisdom of your unique family story. On this installment of Book Shorts, we're very honored to be joined by author Paula Webb. Paula Lenore Webb has a Master's in Library and Information Science from the University of Alabama. She's currently a tenured librarian at the University of South Alabama in Mobile. Ms. Webb has always enjoyed research and documented her local history findings in her first book, Mobile Under Siege, Surviving the Union Blockade, which was published in 2016. She has continued pursuing this avenue of research in her latest book, Such a Woman, The Life of Madame Octavia Walton Levert. And that book is the topic of this book short segment. Ms. Webb has a very elegant touch with history. And this exceptionally researched book, Such a Woman, the Life of Madame Octavia Walton Levert, is brilliantly rich and full with essential details only distinguished by excellent research. Ms. Webb provides the reader with an understanding of the true nature of this wonderful 19th century woman. Octavia was a fully established and intelligent personality who reached well-deserved national acclaim. She was dazzlingly intelligent, multilingual, and treasured by her distinguished family. Octavia became Madame Levert because of her work ethic, talent, intelligence, and inquisitiveness about the world. Her self-confidence sustained her through the tumultuous times she lived through throughout both sadness and success. Even when her world fell apart, 
Octavia wasted no time with remorse, regret, or bitterness. Instead, she got busy and moved forward, because it would not have even been thought by her to do anything less. Today's book short's author, Ms. Paula Webb, has created a sincere and captivating portrait of this venerable woman. Madame Octavia Levert's real story is so much richer than fiction. The book Such a Woman, The Life of Madame Octavia Walton Levert gives a picture-perfect representation of Madame Octavia Levert. From that, the reader is able to get to warmly know this amazing person. Paula, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. First of all, I'd like to say how awesome your book is. It's captivated me throughout. I couldn't put it down until I finished it. It's a great read. Wonderful. I'm glad you enjoyed it. What motivated you to write it? Well, I discovered Octavia Walton Levert when I was working on my first book, which is Mobile Under Siege, Surviving the Union Blockade. And I was gathering short stories and various accounts of women, children, enslaved, how they survived in Mobile during this time period. And in all of the research, one person stood out amongst the rest, and it was Octavia Walton Levert. She was a Unionist in Mobile at the time, and the city was strongly Confederate, sympathizing. But one, a third of the city was Unionist still, but she was a Unionist. And that was very interesting. And she remained so, to the point that one of the rumors was that she was kicked out of the city because of her union sympathies, that she had to leave or her life was in danger. And so I thought, wow, that's an interesting story. Why did they care that it was a woman in this situation? Why did it matter? And so I started diving into her story and it discovered so many more wonderful things. Can you give us an overview of the book? Sure. It is about Madame Octavia Walton Levert. She had a fascinating history. Now, she had a salon here in Mobile, Alabama, where I live. The salon was the premier salon, a place where people discussed politics, life, made big decisions, hung out, got to know each other, intellectual conversation. There was this in Mobile, Alabama, and it was the only one in this area of that prominence. The rest of them were located up north near Washington, D.C., New York, and those areas. Her salon was internationally known in Mobile, Alabama. But then I wanted to know more. So I started looking to her history and I found out some amazing things. For example, her grandfather signed the Declaration of Independence. And then there is a prominent place in Florida called Fort Walton Beach, Florida. And that's named after her father. And then she's here in Mobile, Alabama. So what happened? What was the thing that really made her prominent? I had to strongly use deeds, wills, track down the family. There is not a whole lot of literature written about the Waltons. George Walton Sr. signed the Declaration of Independence. There's not a book about him. Then George Walton Jr., his son, who was the first secretary for the state of Florida, there really isn't a book about him. And then there's his daughter, Octavia. Well, I had to go through the records and discover how they were connected. How did one relative know John Quincy Adams? What was the prominence? Why did it matter? So all of this ties back to genealogy and who they're related to. And then another thing I discovered, and this really, really got me interested in learning her story, is that she was introduced to Edgar Allan Poe. 
And there is a poem that everybody's familiar with if they've read Edgar Allan Poe's works. It's to Octavia. Octavia Walton LeVert is the Octavia he is dedicating that poem to. So who is this lady? How is she connected to all of these prominent people? And so I started diving in and discovering more. The book goes through her life, the people she interacts with, things that she's encountered, but it also gives an overview of the lives of women during this time period, the what she would have encountered in her various areas. I try to always give a good 360 view of the character, like you're looking over her shoulder. That's the, the motivation for writing this book. Fantastic book. Thank you for that. So where's the best place for someone to get a copy of your book? Oh, well, there's a website that I have. It's called suchawomanbook.com. And in addition, if you would like a signed copy of my book, please send me an email. That's plwebby, that's P-L-W-E-B-B-I-E at protonmail.com. And I will gladly mail you a copy. In addition, Such a Woman is an audiobook and an ebook. So you can certainly get the book there too. Are you working on any other books? Yes. When you read Such a Woman, you will realize that it reads a lot like fiction, but it is true. So you're able to get through the story and go through the situation and learn a lot about her, but not be bored out of your mind. So I wanted to do that too with another nonfiction book. But I thought if I can do this with nonfiction, why don't I try to do it with fiction? Yeah. Wonder if I can really write fiction. So I partnered with a local author called Mary S. Palmer. And we're writing three books. We've written two. We're working on the third one now. It's the Mississippi Mojo and Murder series. The first one is Mississippi Mojo and Murder. The second one is Devilry in the Delta. And you can purchase these two books at Amazon.com. And in addition, if you would like a signed copy, you can certainly send me an email. Our cover artist is Abe Partridge, and he is a wonderful artist and very well known. Okay. Thank you very much. I'll go looking for those. And then the next nonfiction book I'm working on, when you read Such a Woman, there is a secondary woman in here. Her name is Betsy Walton Lamar. She was Octavia Walton LeVert's enslaved person. In addition, the research shows pretty strongly that she was her sister. Yes. So with that in mind and the fame that Octavia had, I'm able to figure out where she was. And I have a lot of information about Betsy Walton Lamar that I'm building another book around. Oh, that's great. Oh, Mm -hmm. that'll be so great to read. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Paula, I'd like to thank you for your time and for your books. Thank you so much. Listeners, pick up a copy of this excellent book. It's really a wonderful book and all of the other books that were mentioned. This book is the story of Madame Octavia LeVert, and it just dances off the pages. I just loved it. Thanks, Paula, for being a guest on Book Shorts. You come back anytime. Wonderful. Thank you so much.
Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we're here today with Ms. Mary Lee Montgomery and Mr. Jim Garrison from the Condé Charlotte Museum located in Mobile, Alabama. Guys, let's pick up where we left off, and welcome back, Mary Lee and Jim. Thank you. Thanks. So in the, in the Condé Charlotte Museum, which is absolutely beautiful, what kinds of exhibits are on display? We have furnishings from the period for each room. The way the Colonial Dames set up this museum is that our individual rooms represent the flags that have ruled over Mobile. So we have a French bedroom and sitting room from the 1700s. And then we have a, a British commandant's room furnished with furniture and, and bric-a-brac, candles, that kind of thing, from when the British ruled here between 1763 and 1780. Our Spanish courtyard is kind of self-explanatory. It is designed to look like a courtyard from Spain, but that's the only place in the museum where we have essentially a, a reproduction because you just can't put something that's two or 300 years old out in the weather here in Mobile mm. and expect it to last, you know, for a year even. It's a grueling climate down here, a subtropical climate. So our Spanish courtyard, which we redid two years ago, is designed to look like a courtyard you might see in Spain. Then you, you come in and we have our antebellum sitting rooms and they are decorated with Victorian stylings, furniture and, and various different things from the Victorian era. On our second floor, we have, <clears throat> excuse me, we have two bedrooms that are set up the way that Jonathan and Elizabeth Kirkbride may have furnished it when they owned the home. And we do have their portraits, which Mr. Kirkbride was a, a considerably older than Elizabeth Kirkbride. Although in her portrait, she's only 36, but she looks a little older. It was a rough time, plus she had six children. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so she was worn out. Anyway, the the museum is is not like other historic house museums because it it does present to the public essentially the history of Mobile and Alabama's Gulf Coast. Last year we started uh, oh, go ahead. something that we hope to continue on. We are continuing this year and we'll continue it on further, but we had a guest exhibit. We worked with the Alabama Arts and Prison Education Program. They're an organization housed out of Auburn University. And what they do is they go to prisons all across the state and teach. They started out just teaching art classes, but now they've expanded to teaching general courses so that way incarcerated people can get a degree while they're serving their time. Nice. And they have a traveling art exhibit called Art on the Inside. And last year, we displayed about 20 or so pieces of these art made by these incarcerated individuals. And we did an interview with the director of that program. And it was the whole thing was a big success. And we're looking forward to having at least one of these 
outside art exhibits every year. Cool. Yeah, it was great. That was our initial exhibit. And the reason we chose that is because of our bicentennial of the jail and courthouse, our original building. And it just seemed to be a perfect fit. And everybody who saw it seemed to appreciate it. That sounds very cool. You've described sort of the inside of the museum and the exhibits that are on display. Do you have like a storage area that you draw from? Do the exhibits rotate? Not really. They're pretty static. We will rotate things out if we need to get something repaired. We do have something that we're working on right now with one of our colonial dames who has a sleigh bed that was original to the Kirkbride home. So we're working with her to see how we can fit that into the museum. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Mary Lee, you wanted to go through a timeline of the history of the home? Yeah. You know, we mentioned before that the, the courthouse and jail was built in 1822. It was just a square brick building with two stories and an attic. The court was held upstairs and the jail cells were downstairs. No windows, no fireplaces, anything like that. As the city grew, the jail moved it to another location, and the city just abandoned this area. So that's when Jonathan Kirkbride in 1848-50 saw the place. It was brick. It was falling down, so he repaired the brick. He stuccoed it. He added windows and fireplaces. He added a beautiful front porch and a balcony in the back with an L-shaped addition and a carriage house and set that up for his family. And we assume that he really liked the, the place because it was brick. There's a lot of wood in South Alabama, so most buildings down here were made out of wood. Well, the city burned down three times before Jonathan Kirkbride bought this building. Oh, wow. So I'm sure he was thinking brick doesn't burn. So he knew it would be a secure place for his family. And he made it, I like to call it the original fixer-upper. He even used a couple of the original cell doors in the in the addition that he created. So but then it stayed in the Kirkbride family for close to 80 years, and they finally sold it in 1926. And people, like Jim said, lived there. It was a boarding house. And then in 1940, that's when the Historic Mobile Preservation Society bought it and renovated it and turned it into their headquarters. Of course, World War II broke out. So they leased it out to the Army for its officers club. After the war, you know, they moved out. Historic Society moved back in and stayed in the house until 1957 when they sold it to the city of Mobile and then the city turned around and sold it to the Colonial Danes. And the Danes 
refurbished what the uh, historic society had done and then opened the doors in 1961 just for preservation and educational purposes. There really weren't huge tours going through or anything. And, but they did have to close it in 1970 because the building is right next to two tunnels that were built to go under the Mobile River and then back up and cross over Mobile Bay. So that's a really fascinating time because the company that did that, they used the building for their headquarters, but they also discovered a lot of artifacts that were buried and I guess thrown into the river. I don't know, but they pulled out a lot of bricks that the Colonial Danes used to create its courtyard, its Spanish courtyard. And and then just other various and sundry pieces of history, I guess you could call it. But that was that was really fascinating to me that they found that all of that brick, you know, in the in just in the dirt and under the river. And then by 73, after the tunnels were complete, the museum opened as a museum for tours. And it also received a listing on the National Register of Historic Places. So and we've been going great guns ever since then. Fantastic. This year will be your 40th year open, right? I guess you're right. Yeah. Yes. Wow, that's very cool. Nice history. 40th or, let's see, 50th, wouldn't it be? Oh, probably. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Jim, we've got to do something about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> we, we're just getting over the bicentennial of the building. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That'll be a good time. Now, Mary Lee, you oh, mentioned uh, the buildings made of wood that they caught fire at least three times in the in the city's history. God forbid mm-hmm. if this would happen, but if your museum were to catch fire, what would you grab on the way out? Mm. That's a tough one. First thing that comes to mind for me is the silver. We have a nice silver collection in the museum of various periods and different types of silver. But then I'd also want to grab portraits and you know, and then, of course, things that I couldn't grab because they're way too heavy. We have a, a beautiful Chippendale table that's a marble top, and we have a, a piano forte in our antebellum rooms. I, there's just, there's too much. There's too much to grab. Yeah. So that's one reason I'm glad, like Mr. Kirkbride, that it is a brick and stucco building. Yeah. And Jim, you're right behind Mary Lee because she's faster than both of us. But <laughs> what would you grab on the way out? That. Uh, there's, it's a tough question. I can, I can narrow it down to two. There is a beautiful traveling bar case in our antebellum parlor. It's got this beautiful mother of pearl inlay. Mm. And the decanters and the cups in it all have 21 karat gold along the rims, and these beautiful designs on the side. 
it's just a, a beautiful piece, you know, just to have. Or my other favorite piece in the museum is this. Uh, it's a mirror on the upstairs, and right above it, there is a beautiful piece of art. And it's an Eglamise artwork, so it's, the, it's a piece of glass, and it's got this beautiful scene painted on the back of it. And it's just so detailed. And when you paint on the back of glass, you know, you got to pretty much do the painting backwards. Yeah. So you put on the smallest details in this blank piece of glass. And the fact that, you know, it looks so beautiful when knowing the process behind making those, uh, that's that just sits in my mind as one of my favorites. So it's got to be one of those two. Fantastic. Thank you for that. You called that an Egla Malay? What, what was it? I believe it's Egla Mazay. And okay. it's a it's French, wow. and I think it. I, I I was told once what it translates to, and I think it's just on the backside or you know back some, something along those lines. It, it's pretty you know, it, it translates to pretty much exactly where it is. Okay, cool. That sounds very beautiful. Now, guys, this costs money to operate this museum, and what kind of funding model supports the organization, and what are your funding goals this year? Our museum is very fortunate in that the Colonial Dames of Alabama support the museum through distributions, membership dues, and then distributions from the state organization. We also get individual donations from the members of the Colonial Dames. Oh, cool. We we get money from... uh, from admissions, people who come to see us. And we do get foundation grants for specific projects, like when we replaced the roof a few years ago, we received a grant for that. We received grants from the Alabama Historical Commission. Mm -hmm. And we've received several grants from them. So uh, we have different ways that we... We fund the museum, but the biggest portion comes from the colonial dames themselves. Thank goodness for them. That's great. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really takes a lot of pressure off. But people can donate if they want to? Sure. We love for people to donate. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Is there any admission um, to get into the museum? Yes, yes. It's $10 for adults. And then $5 for kids 6 through 13, and then free for kids who are five years old and younger. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. That's a great price. That's, that's such a value to get in to see that kind of history. Wow. Not bad. Yeah. We, we want to make it accessible to everybody and... You know, that's that's the point of the museum. No no museum or virtually no museum can run on just its admissions. You have to have other revenue resources. But the point of a, any museum is education. So you want to make your admission price point, you know, reasonable enough for somebody who to want to pay that to come in. If I were living in Mobile, I'd be there all the time. Oh, you'd be in all sorts of places if you were in Mobile. <laughs> yeah. We got all 
all sorts of history down here. You do. It's an amazing place. Now, you mentioned education. What kind of outreach and education does the organization undertake within the community? We work with several homeschool organizations, and we set up field trips for them. Sometimes small private schools will set up a field trip with us. It's really difficult to do field trips with large schools because we just don't have the space. I think the biggest groups we usually take in are about 30 students. Okay. And we work with plenty of other organizations around Mobile. Last year, we worked with the Mobile Arts Council to set up a free little art gallery right outside the museum. Oh, cool. And the concept there is people, you know, just anybody can create art and put it up in display there and take whatever pieces they enjoy. And so it's a constant rotation of these beautiful, but, you know, like note card sized pieces of artwork. And it's always fun to walk by and see what the community has put in. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So part mm-hmm. of education is making sure that your members and the community as a whole understands what you're doing and, and you know, getting your news out across the community. How do you do that? Primarily through social media, through YouTube and uh, Facebook and Instagram. Those are our main three platforms. And then sending out press releases about what's going on here and just working with other attractions here in Mobile, like the History Museum of Mobile or Oakley Historic House or the Bragg Mitchell Mansion. And we're also a member of Visit Mobile. That's the Convention and Visitor Bureau here in town. And they do a lot of advertising for Mobile in general. And then they will highlight different attractions here in town. And we're one of them. Oh, yeah, you sure are. That's beautiful. Thank you. So there's a lot of other organizations, as you mentioned, throughout the area. How do you interface with those organizations? Well, one benefit of being in Mobile as long as I've been here and working at as many places as I've worked, um, I know a lot of people and, and they know me. So it's very easy in a town the size of Mobile to just call another director or another museum spokesperson or, or attraction spokesperson and just ask them if whatever I'm asking about, you know, if Jim comes up with a, with a great idea for a program, I usually know who to call and, and I'll tell him, you know, call him and ask him about it. And, you know, it's worked out great. I think Jim has helped the Bragg Mitchell Mansion set up their, their collections program, computer program, or he's about to work on that. You know, um, their director called me and said, hey, how do y'all do your collections? And I told her and told her about Jim and and she said, oh, I want to call him. So, you know, we do a lot of trading of skills and ideas and we lend each other things. We just borrowed a bunch of chairs from the Oakley House Museum to set up for a play in our courtyard. And and then we work with the History Museum of Mobile. They, every year, put together a, a festival called Explore Mobile. And that is where all of the attractions in downtown Mobile 
have an open house on the same day. It's usually the first Sunday in May. And people can come and just take a a quick tour through each location for free or for a minimum price. And that has worked out really well. We use it as a teaser for folks to come kind of see what we have and then come back and take a, a full tour if they're really interested. And that's also been a great way to reconnect with other entities in town. Very cool. Well, you've also got a tourist season, right? Well, I I guess you could consider Mardi Gras a tourist season, and then spring is great tourist season. That's when all of our azaleas are in bloom, and the city just turns pink. It's it's really beautiful. I was thinking Um, the Gulf Coast down there. I don't know what spring break is like down down in Mobile or anything like that. Or or whether a bunch of snowbirds come in in the um, winter. Spring break is really focused more on the Gulf itself down on the beaches. Okay, That's about a 45-minute drive from here. But in the wintertime, a lot of folks like Michigan and Minnesota and Illinois, you know, places further north and straight up I-65, come down and spend two or three months down at the beach in condos, retirees, and then they they like to take day excursions. So they come up to Mobile. We see a lot of what we call snowbirds come visit the the museum. And we very much appreciate them. Yeah, that'd be a great place to visit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. For and it's that. a nice place to spend the winter, you know, rather than oh yeah, in the deep snow. It doesn't snow there, right? Not in Mobile. No. Well, we've had snow, <laughs> and when we build little snowmen, they are little, <laughs> and they have they have pine straw all in them. <laughs> pine straw, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Because. We just don't get enough snow to make a real snowman. Fantastic. So what kinds of interesting books has your organization published? The Colonial Dames have have published a, a book called Of People and of Place, Portraiture in Alabama. And it is portraits that are post-Civil War up through World War II, and it's portraits of people who live in Alabama or lived in Alabama. That was put together by Cart Blackwell. He is a local historian. His niche is historic architecture, but he is also an author and just a historian in general. So they just published that a couple of years ago, and it was a follow-up to a portraiture in Alabama pre-Civil War. And that was, gosh, I think that was published probably 20 or more years ago. So that those are the only two books, really, that, that the Colonial Dames have published that we still sell. We sell other books, though. One, a uh, it's a coffee table about Mobile Bay. Nice. Another one is a is a coffee table book about historic homes, 
decorated for Christmas. So, um, and those homes are all over the country. So those are the those are the main things that we sell book wise. We just have a very small table of of souvenirs, you know, refrigerator magnet or note cards or a map of Mobile Bay, that type of thing. Very cool, Jim. Are you working on a book? <laughs> Not the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna work him up to that. Yeah, he is working on our collection, though, recording our collection in the software. Yeah. And that that's a job. Oh, yeah. No doubt about that. But he got such great experience at the Aliceville Museum that we just feel very confident about, about get, handing that over to him. Fantastic. And I know he's doing a good job. I want to give the uh, contact information of the Condé Charlotte Museum once again. The address is 104 Theater Street in Mobile, Alabama. You can phone them at 251-432-4722. Their website is condecharlotte.com. That's C-O-N-D-E-C-H-A-R-L-O-T-T-E.com. On Facebook, look for them as at the Condé Charlotte Museum House. You can email them at condecharlottehouse at gmail.com. And they're also on YouTube at Condé-Charlotte Museum 6415. My next question is, what kinds of things are available to do on your organization's website? Well, our homepage usually has updates on events, programs, things going on at the museum. Our education tab has all of our 2022 lecture series, and we will be posting all of our 2023 lectures on there as well. We also have a, a story you can read about the museum that was written by one of our colonial dames, Laura Jane Rogers. She is a, or is a retired professor from the University of South Alabama, and so she, she researched and put together the history of the museum and then also along as a sidebar to that is a story about the the archaeological dig they did here so many years ago. So that we have those posted on the on the website too. You can also buy tickets to for admission to the museum or if you feel like making a donation, you can make a donation and both of those are through PayPal. PayPal on the website. Very cool. Yeah, it's a nice website. I hope everybody Thank listening you. goes there. It's a very cool place. Thank you. And Jim said that the uh, speakers are on YouTube, I think. The videos are on YouTube, but you also have links to those on your website. Yeah, we have links to them on their website. And it's, it's great because it's, you know, they're hosted on YouTube, but It'll play on the website, so you don't even have to jump pages or anything. Yeah, I listened to a couple of them. They were great. Absolutely great. Thank you. We like to have local authors speak. Had a couple of them, Paula Webb and Carolyn Haynes. And and they're just wonderful because they are so Southern. And they, so they have that, that perspective that's kind of a, a little bit sideways and a whole lot of fun. So guys, what are your thoughts about how best to keep history and community support flourishing for the current generation, the K-12 
K through 12 folks? It's it's all about, you know, really just making it accessible to younger people, you know, go where the young people are posting on, you know, social media is one of the things we do a lot, trying to, you know, really catch their eye, remind them that, hey, you know, we're here because young people are always looking to, you know, find something to do in their free time. I remember you know, when I was in college, you know, you have so much free time. And not a lot of money. Museums are the perfect places to to get out and go. So it's it's really just all about catering to that, making sure they know, hey, you're here, not far, you know. You know, having having a place like the Condé Charlotte Museum, a person can come in and be surrounded by history. They are they are just enveloped in it because they walk into a room where someone could have written a doctrine or, you know, played music or, or had a sip of brandy and they're just surrounded by it. And that really brings it to life for young folks that these things were actually used in day-to-day life. The challenge is to communicate with educators who can set up field trips with us. A lot of them don't have the money to take a lot of field trips. So we try to work with as many folks as we can, the homeschoolers and smaller groups. We are trying to reconnect with the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts and other groups like that that really would appreciate history too. Well said. Thank you. I'm sorry to interrupt Mary Lee and Jim, but it's time for us to take a break for a few minutes. Okay. All right, listeners, we'll be right back. Bring your family or bring a friend and visit the Condé Charlotte Museum. It's well worth your time to visit and support their efforts to bring history to life for you and your family. For hours, directions, and more, visit CondéCharlotte.com. Plan a visit to this worthwhile museum and let the truly knowledgeable docents tell you all about the life and times of its residents and mobile. Sometimes the most commonplace artifact triggers the most heartfelt memories. The museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies within our communities have responsibility for preserving these artifacts so they can be used to educate each new generation about their own past. They are the gatherers and caretakers of the stories of our history, culture, and heritage. Sharing the lessons of history fosters an understanding of the fundamental knowledge of why things work the way they do. Once armed with a knowledge of their place in history, people have a much higher success rate as they build the future. Our values and ideals are rightly influenced by those who came before us. On each episode of Preservation Oaks, our guests share key information about these core organizations and history. You'll learn about the great work they do, what their needs are, their goals, 
and why you can feel really confident about the future by volunteering and supporting them. Join us wherever you get your podcasts, and then follow, comment, like, and listen. This is Sandra Klamleininger from the Union County Genealogy Society, and I love listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. This is Carrie Eilers from the Cedar Falls Historical Society, and I listen to Sean Thomas Radcliffe and Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. This is Ben Twilliger, the Executive Director of the Eudora Area Historical Society and Museum located in Eudora, Kansas. I had a lot of fun as a guest on Preservation Oaks. In my first life, I was owned by a business, and a seamstress named Peggy used me every day, all day, and I worked like crazy for Peggy. Then the business closed, and I was inherited by the Webster family, and I worked like a couple of times a month, mostly for patching, but sometimes making dresses. Then, I was put in the basement, replaced by a newer model that used electricity. I lay there for years, collecting dust. They sat boxes on me. Finally, they pulled me out of there, and then the scariest thing in my existence happened, they had a discussion about throwing me away. You know, into the trash. Luckily for me they decided to sell me at a garage sale, and I went to March. Finally, she donated me to the local historical society. They catalogued me, shined me up, oiled me, and made sure all my parts worked like new. Now, I'm on display for the community to see every day, and they, marvel at the way I work. It took a long time, but I feel so proud that I can help others understand, the past, which I guess I'm now a part of. Rather than throwing it out, please donate historical records and objects to your local historical society, today. And now, back to preservation of... Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. We're here today with Ms. Mary Lee Montgomery and Mr. Jim Garrison from the Condé Charlotte Museum located in Mobile, Alabama. Guys, we've learned so much and it's been great. Thank you so much for the information you provided to our audience about your organization. Thank you for having us. We're happy to be here. Now, picking up where we left off, why is the organization important to the community and what makes your organization different or unique from others? And I think, Mary Lee, you you mentioned a a uniqueness of your organization. Mm -hmm. The museum itself is not set up just as a home that was furnished in 1850. It is set up in different periods in Mobile's history starting in 1703. So that makes it unique. You get a different period in each room you walk into. Also, it's it's the people who own this museum, the National Society of the Colonial Dames of America in the state of Alabama, is a generous organization. They are educated women who are movers and shakers in the community. So they have a lot of influence, and they use that with the museum. And it, it's very helpful in getting people here, 
in acquiring the collection and their attitude is just so generous and they are they are so easy to work with that makes a big difference not every museum or tourist attraction has that kind of base to support it and I, we are very fortunate here for that we've been through a number of topics we've talked about a few things and thank you for all the information is there any other information or message you'd like the community to know about we just want people to know that we're here we're on a side street in downtown mobile you kind of go around the corner and here we are this lovely home and it is a really good place to start your tour of mobile because you do get a foundational history of the area and then you can go from here to the golf quest which is the maritime museum or go to the history museum of mobile which is a lot bigger than our museum and has a lot more detail. There's a lot more to take in there. You can go to the Carnival Museum and learn all about Mardi Gras. But it's really good to start here at the Condé Charlotte Museum so you can get a foundation for perspective of Mobile's history. Very good point. We have a bookmark that we give to people when they first walk in the door. And it has the different flags, and then it has the period, the time period, of when those flags flew over Mobile, like the French from 1703 to 1763. So it helps our guests keep things, you know, in order. Yeah. And they can take it with them also and look things up that they want to find out more about later on. Very cool. Jim, would you like to add anything? Just bouncing on, you know, what she was saying about how unique going through our, our museum is, you know, uh, a lot of places you'll, you'll walk through or places where you'd go to get this overview of, you know, mobile history. There's, there's not many, but certainly there's not any that really takes you through uh, these scenes of life under each flag. The pieces in our, British room are set up, you know, along the walls and displayed like that. They're sitting where you would expect these pieces to sit in a room in a British household under Britain and Mobile that time during that period. So it really puts you in the period under these countries and you really get a better feel for the time and it gives a better appreciation for the stuff as you go from there to these other museums that focus more specifically on another period. Fantastic. Thank you. What a rich culture you folks have. We really do. It's it, it's a nice, it really is a lovely place to live. And it's a great place to visit. I, I came down here a lot before I moved here. Very good. Reflecting just a bit, how do you think your members, your volunteers, your docents and the community view you and the organization? I think that we're pretty well respected in the community. Anytime I tell somebody where I work, they're like, oh, wow, that's nice. And the fact that we're owned by the Colonial Dames adds a lot of respect and, and credibility to our museum. And having worked in Mobile for so long, 
it just helps with promoting the museum within the community, uh, just knowing folks. And we all we all have such a nice relationship with each other. It just helps with the credibility of the museum. I got I got to meet the old housekeeper before she retired, and she was telling me when I was talking to her about how like you know she started working here. Uh, the museum had been a part of her life for, you know, most of it, really. I think her mother was involved and she got involved through that. But she was telling me how you just, you know, fall in love with the house. And that's a sentiment that I've heard from all the other docents and something that I feel myself. You know, you really fall in love with the museum. And that love shows when, you know, you're given tours. People see that. You know, when people come and visit and they walk through, they can, you know, feel the love you have for the house and the history there. And there's been more than a couple reviews that our guests have left that kind of, you know, share that feeling. It's nice. And, you know, consequently, we're in the top 10 attractions to visit in Mobile on TripAdvisor. Well-deserved. And that's with TripAdvisor having the uh, the wrong price. <laughs> <laughs> I think they say that we're like 30 bucks for entry or something like that. Something crazy. Wow. It's kind of a mix-up. At one point, you see our admission price is 10 bucks, but then also another point, it says 30 because we're part of a package that the state tourism department put together. Yeah. And it's called an all-in-one ticket. And you can buy a ticket for oh. 30 bucks, and that will get you admission to X number of attractions that are listed on the ticket. And there's about 10 or so attractions on the ticket. And you just take it to the museum or whatever attraction and, you know, redeem it. And so it's, it's kind of convoluted and confusing, but. Sounds like a great package deal though. It is. It's a great deal. You can check it out, should be able to check it out on uh, sweethomealabama.com or Alabama Travel, alabama.travel. Well, Mary Lee, Jim, I want to thank you so much for spending the time with us today. I've learned a lot about Mobile, a lot about Condé Charlotte Museum. I've had a great time, and I'm really glad to meet you guys. It's so good to meet you too, Sean Thomas. I mean, we've just had a great time. We're so thankful that you reached out to us. Oh, my goodness. That was such a pleasant surprise. Well, you're very welcome. And and any kind of positive comments that I make are well-deserved, believe me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, really, thank you for having us on. It's been great meeting you. And with that, listeners, we'll end our time with our guests, Ms. Mary Lee Montgomery and Mr. Jim Garrison. Please stay tuned for my comments and wrap-up, which is coming up next. Holy catch, you guys. Welcome back. Think about this. This historic home, the Condé Charlotte Museum, was the first jail and court in Mobile, Alabama. It's now over two centuries old, and thanks to the good people of Mobile, 
It's been preserved through the ages and is available for you and your children to see today. That's a wow in my book. I hope everybody gets a chance to visit the Condé Charlotte Museum and more importantly, to participate in the 2023 events they have scheduled. There's author speakers, wine and olive tastings, and much more. Say hello to the wonderful docents, to Mary Lee Montgomery and Jim Garrison while you're there. Join and help to support this worthwhile attraction. Once again, the contact information is, you need to go to 104 Theater Street, Mobile, Alabama. In order to visit, you can phone them at 251-432-4722. You can visit them on Facebook at Condi Charlotte Museum. You can visit them on YouTube at Condi Charlotte Museum 6415. You can email them at Condi Charlotte House at gmail.com. And their website is CondeCharlotte.com. Hope to see you there. Happy Mardi Gras to everybody in Mobile. There were a thousand questions I could have asked during our time together, but I didn't in the interest of time. If questions occur to you and you'd like more information, please connect with the organization via the contact information provided. I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the Condé Charlotte Museum is to the community. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Big Band Dixieland. Chris Hagen, Epic Vocals, Blues, Scott Holmes, and Cymbalbird. Microstream Radio is a registered trademark. You can visit us at www.microstreamradio.com. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by Microstream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of Microstream Radio. The Condé Charlotte Museum, located in Mobile, Alabama, is truly one of our preservation oaks. Please visit this excellent and beautiful historic place today. Thanks to everybody for listening. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. We'll see you all next time on Preservation Oaks. <music>